Hi, this is Jennifer Gaskin. And this is Giselle Rivera Flores. And this is Don't Don't Touch Touch My My Podcast. Podcast. The show where we delve into the complexities of diversity, inclusivity, and what it means to be a Latin and Black woman in America. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 10. Today's topic on Don't Touch My Podcast is our first in our series about safety and community. Today, we are discussing creating environments of psychological safety. Psychological safety is the belief that one can speak up without risk of punishment or humiliation. It has been well established as a critical driver of high quality decision making, healthy group dynamics and interpersonal relationships, greater innovation and more effective execution. The term psychological safety was coined by Harvard Business School professor Amy Edmondson. She defines it as a shared belief that the team is safe for interpersonal risk taking. Establishing a climate of psychological safety allows space for people to speak up and share their ideas. As the saying goes, actions speak louder than words. Team cultures reflect the actions and reactions of their leaders. Leaders who fail to establish and support psychologically safe team environments can cause irreparable negative consequences and damage to the organization. So what does psychological safety look like in action? It's practice of active listening during meetings and brainstorming sessions. It's asking thought-provoking and open-ended questions. It's giving support and asking for support when needed. It's showing empathy, care, and concern for each other. It's praise, encouragement, and expressions of gratitude for one another. It's expression of creative ideas and politely encouraging others to do the same. And it's giving each other the benefit of the doubt when expressing challenges. So Giselle, what are your thoughts on creating environments of psychological? So what's concerning is that we create psychological spaces and we talk about these structures mostly to conform, not isolating people of color and women. We've done all these things to get where we are. So when we talk about psychological safety, it's another aspect of that where we're creating a conversation to ensure that people of color and women, people from the LGBTQ community are not being isolated and they feel comfortable in their own skin, which is bizarre because it should just be something that we have that's assumed that it already is there, something intangible that exists not something that we have to create to exist. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. I think when I think about psychological safety, I think about humanity and just being humane. There shouldn't be a situation where one person feels uncomfortable speaking up for their own interest or their own safety or from their own perspective. We should always have environments of psychological safety. But like you said, We have to create them for people who maybe are different, whether it's your skin color, your race, whether it's your way you learn, maybe it's your disability. Why should we have to say, allow this person to express how they feel, allow this person to express their perspective? Like, why do we have to tell people to make that? that That's a given. So what's interesting is that I saw when we were putting this show together, I saw 
what we would consider a safe environment and what we would consider an environment full of fear. And the contrast is, wait, what? Right, right, because it's so drastic. Why does this even exist? So on a safe environment, safe to be included as yourself and accepted as who you are, which is what Jennifer is talking about. Me coming in as a Hispanic woman, Jennifer coming in as a Caribbean black woman, our kids coming in the way they show up in the world as themselves authentically. An environment, the contrast of that is changing how one shows up in fear of not being socially accepted. Wait, didn't we talk? We talked about that for the very first episode where we talked about our hair. Right. And we were talking about going on job interviews and not feeling safe to go on a job interview with our natural hair state. So here we are creating policies and rules to ensure that we do feel safe about our hair, our appearance, the way we show up in the world in a way that it is 100% okay and no one will retaliate against us. And then to Jen's point, we also talked about the Crown Act. I was just going to um, say, in the Crown Act. Yeah, and, and that's still waiting or to be even, passed in Massachusetts. Even we were talking about housing discrimination, being able to show up as you are and present yourself as you are and get the same consideration as the next person. Another one was, and these are fascinating to me. I actually like screenshot this and I sent it to a few friends and I was like, this is the world this as is crazy. we know it. Yeah, this is crazy. Um, the other one was safe to learn and grow through feedback, ideas, making mistakes and taking risk and asking questions. So like just being curious as a human being. But and it, being it, able to do It's funny cuz now I'm thinking about it. Think about it. You have Shia, she's a little toddler. And thinking back to my children being toddler age, specifically my oldest son, I'm always picking on him. Poor but Louis. like poor <laughs> Louis. Like even him being in school and he's very like he's active, he talks, his mind is quick and being in in preschool and they're like, "Oh, he needs to be tested for ADHD. Maybe he's just a curious little kid." Why is it that we have to immediately start to label and start to isolate people? Maybe they're inquisitive. Maybe they just are curious. Most people that are extremely smart also ask a lot of questions. Right. That's how they learn. That's just how their brain works. The opposite of this. So instead of learning in a safe environment and asking questions and saying, it's okay, you made a mistake. This is how we learn how to do the right way. In a fearful environment, it's fear of learning through doing due to repercussions from mistakes and not adequacy. So if I do something wrong the first time, so let's use our children as an example. If you heard our education series, a little bit about our background with our kids and how they struggled in school and like the regular learning environment and how they thrived afterwards. But you'll start to see that there was a piece in both of our kids and where the repercussions of not being able to finish something or not being able to be at the same rate as the other classmates comes from that fearful environment and where Mm -hmm. I'm going to be in trouble. The last two, safe to share abilities and ideas to contribute meaningfully to a group. So as you can see, Jen and I host this podcast and there's nothing about us that's shy at all. So if we're in a group setting and there is an idea and we think it's going to go well or we want feedback, neither one of us are shy about it. And we speak up. I've been in rooms and where people say, oh, I'm glad you said that because I was. Oh, it's so funny that you say that because this actually happened yesterday. So, you know, I have a good friend, Danielle. Shout out to Danielle, owner of Spark FM, first black owned radio station. And we had a conversation yesterday and she was talking to me about something that she was upset about. She says to me, Jennifer, I'm going to go to the meeting and I'm going to listen. 
And I'm thinking in my head, this isn't going to work. She's <laughs> like, oh, she's a talker. Like, she's, this isn't going to work. She goes to the meeting, and it goes the, exactly the way that we anticipated it. And she ends up getting up and takes over the meeting, essentially, from what I'm understanding. And then everybody, after the fact, says, oh, I'm glad you spoke up. But it's like, why did you leave me hanging? Why did you leave me out there to be the only one to say something? So this goes back to, so for one, Jen and I are not those individuals. And I know that there's this concept in where people say you should be listening and be an active listener. I 100% agree. Oh, yeah. But there's certain environments and groups and meetings that actually aren't for listening. They're for brainstorming or well, pitch like that. If I'm listening and you're saying something that is incorrect, or if I'm listening and you're somehow being disrespectful, like I'm going to say something. Oh, a thousand percent. I'm the same way. And I'm the first one to like vouch for someone. So even if Jen is in the room and let's say I didn't know Jen, but Jen had a really good point. Instantly, I'm like rooting for her. I'm like, right. that's you're right. Like, yeah, like, that's talk right. about it. Yeah. Like, I hope they say something because I'm going to say, actually, Jennifer or is at least a get up and say, correct. hey, you know, that young lady that just spoke, I support what she said. Like, at least give me some support. Don't leave me out there hanging. That, again, is another example where psychological safety comes in. Because now you're in this environment and you're having this, I don't want to say hostile interaction, but it's definitely not a comfortable interaction. And you're speaking up for your community, let's say, and your community is sitting there quiet. But at the same time, you have to empathize with that because obviously they don't feel safe to speak up. So that's the fearful piece. So the fearful piece, the polar opposite of that is contributions that don't feel seen, valued, or heard in a group in a meaningful way. So a couple of weeks ago, I was at the Women's Leadership Conference that the chamber held. There was a great keynote speaker, Lovey, who had a book called The Professional Troublemaker, which I grabbed a copy. Yes, I have one. I haven't I read have it a yet. Copy. We haven't read it yet. But what she was speaking about was really powerful to what we're talking about right now and how relevant it is to psychological safety in where she said there's three kind of people in the world, right? There's the person and three kind of troublemakers is what she said. There is the one that say, I don't want to say anything because I'm scared of the repercussions, which is what we're talking about. When you feel that way, it's because your space, your workplace, your friend space, whatever space you're in is not set up for Mm -hmm. psychological safety. It's just not a safe environment. Mm -hmm. And that's why you feel the way you feel instantly, right? It's not something that you've learned. It's just intuitions made you feel Maybe I should be more reserved. I should keep it to myself. Because I don't want to see, or maybe you were at a prior situation or a circumstance like that and saw something happen. Maybe you saw somebody stand up like myself or Giselle or Danielle did and you saw it didn't go well. And And you didn't see people, people (laughs) didn't support them. You know what I mean? And they let them go down in flames. So maybe you're like, I'm not going to do that because that is not a safe space. That's not a safe space. A thousand percent. The second kind of professional troublemaker is someone that is going to speak up, but is always the person that speaks up. So if that person, so if we're not in that group, then what happens is that there's a perspective that's missing from that group that normally would cater and try to decipher whatever the challenges are or maybe see it from a different perspective. That professional troublemaker, as she called it, is the person that's like always the go-to, right? Mm-hmm. They're, when everyone's thinking it, they're looking at Jen and saying, Jen, are you going to say what we're right, thinking? Right, you're thinking it. it. So what's the problem? And then the last one was... When Lovey was speaking, I said, I got to admit, sometimes that's me. I'm tired of it. So the last one is the person that throws their hands up and they're like, why does that always have to be me? 
Why do I always have to speak I up do for sometimes. everyone? Yep, sometimes I'm that person too. Yeah, because like, it's I'm exhausted. exhausted. Yeah, I'm tired. Exactly. And I'm tired of always being the one walking around with the target on my back, or I'm always tired of being the one that's always swinging. Like, just, I want to sit down and be at peace like everybody else. Sometimes I want to be as careless and as inconsiderate right. and as thoughtless as the conversation is. Right. I always feel like I have to take it to the next level. And sometimes that, not only is it exhausting, but it also, like Jen said, puts a target on your back. Oh, here comes, right, here comes, here Jennifer. comes Jennifer. They yep. never agree. They always have something mm -hmm. to say. And it's like, we're saying this you, because we want to open get, the You're doors. always complaining, remember? Always complaining. I'm always complaining. That's an inside <laughs> joke and we can't put it on the air. But let's just say someone told Jennifer that she's always complaining because she was advocating for her culture and making sure that they weren't exploiting it, which they were in that case. And at the end was considered an, a complainer because we're supposed to not complain when we get exploited. No, you're just supposed to be grateful. That you're even in the that conversation. That you're even in the conversation. So <laughs> you're not supposed to speak up for yourself. You're not supposed to advocate for yourself because then you're a complainer. You're a complainer. I should have said, I see, I wish I knew that. I would have said, I'm a professional troublemaker. Actually, get my title, <laughs> Jennifer Gaskin. Get it correct. Professional troublemaker. Yes. <laughs> Certified. <laughs> right. Certified. Last one, and then let's take a break for our sponsor. Yes, and I'll do that really quickly. The last one is safe to challenge ideas, status quo, and opinions wherever there's room for improvement, which is what we touched based on right now with Jennifer. The fearful environment tells you not speaking up. Like, just don't speak up because challenging the ideas or questioning the norms out of fear of personal like repercussions, which is, uh, again, what we were just describing within the three professional troublemakers that Lovey was outlining. Yeah, we're going to go to a break. Stay with us. And we have more on psychological safety when we get back. Don't touch my podcast. Looking for a new skincare routine to boost your self-care days? Check out Phoenix Natural Skincare and explore a collection of skincare filled with antioxidants and olive oil. Known for its hydration and protection against skin aging, Phoenix Natural Skincare is the kind of skincare that makes you want to obsessively use it all day long. From the Rose Beauty Oil to the Honey Oat Cleansing Bar, each product breathes life back into your morning routine. Oh, and while you're shopping for oils and moisturizers, don't forget to order your crystal roller to give your face the massage it deserves. The best part is that it's women-owned and locally sourced. Follow them on Instagram at Phoenix Skincare, P-H-E-N-I-C Skincare. All right. Welcome back to Don't Touch My Podcast. Today we're on season one, episode 10, and we're talking about creating environments of psychological safety. So I found a study, Giselle, that talked about only 36% of workers felt psychologically safe during the pandemic and experienced higher levels of burnout, stress, and greater feelings of loneliness. 48% of respondents somewhat or strongly agreed they've experienced burnout. 61% have experienced elevated stress levels. 32% somewhat or strongly agree they've felt lonely at work. Another finding was that working women experience less psychological safety than men, and working parents had lower levels of psychological safety compared to those who weren't parents. Looking at race and ethnicity, white employees experienced the highest levels of psychological safety, with other races falling behind. 
The fact that barriers of the pandemic are subsiding doesn't automatically fix the hardships workers have experienced over the past two years. A Gallup poll found that moving the needle on psychological safety can lead to a reduction in turnover by nearly 27 percent and in safety accidents by 40 percent and increases productivity 12 percent. We have a quote here that says, building psychological safety can be as easy as consistently saying thank you. Psychological safety is the highest for those recognized in the last month, yet only half, 51% of those surveys are said to have been thanked at work in that time frame. In the last month, in the 30 days, only 51% of workers got a thank you. What? And so I had a conversation with someone not too long ago, and they were talking about an immediate supervisor who they said, this person's fantastic, but if you're looking for validation on your work, you're not going to get it. And for me, myself, I have thick skin. So for me, because I love the work, I don't need your thank yous. I don't need you to say great job. I don't need you to say, Giselle, that looks good. Because in my brain, I know it's working, right? That's just how I work. If I can see that it's working, I'm seeing results. I know it's good. I don't need you yeah, to personally Yeah, but that's tell you as that. a person. Right. So it's me as a person. Now, if you think about all of the things that we've come from, all of the trauma that we have within our communities, if you think about how black and brown women outperform their white colleagues at work, not because of the fact that this is something they just want to do, more of the fact because they're constantly fear. proving themselves. Yeah, it's yeah, fear. Exactly. So out of that stress we create this overperformance, this need mm-hmm. to overperform. If you think about individuals that are working at that level, which is, I feel like I'm a little bit of an outlier because of how I grew up. This is the norm for a lot of people and where you're not saying thank you. You're not even considering this person as a human being. You're not recognizing right. their work. How could anyone feel a-okay about their position and say, I'm doing fantastic work. And nobody even says thank you? That means in 30 days, 49% of the workforce didn't get a thank you. Yep. <laughs> That's crazy to me. I've been with my husband for like almost 18 years. And when he does things, I still say thank you. Thank you. I'm like, honey, thank you. That was helpful. So we talked that we were talking about how we... I don't want to say it like that. I was going to say how we take care of the... We take care of the household. I'll just say that. <laughs> how we take care of the household. And my husband had like Apple paid me some money so that I could pay a bill. And I still said, thank you. Agreed. I'm the same way. Like I would like I knew it it obviously was something he needed to do. We had discussed it. It was an obligation of us to pay this bill, whatever. But I still said, thank you. That's just manners. Because I think that the first thing we need to do is recognize someone for the things that they do, no matter how big or small, because that's how we create confidence and self-esteem. And we become more aware of ourselves and who we are. So if we're in a good place and we're saying thank you and we're saying, I appreciate that, or I couldn't do this without you, your help was valuable. That goes a long way. Talk about creating a positive culture, something that people can aspire to become or a workplace in where um, people are excited to go to. You walk into places, and I'm sure you do, Jennifer, because I know I walk into places and I'm like, God, I hate it here. Everyone's miserable. The morale is terrible. And that comes across in experience as you as a consumer. It comes across in, let's say, if you're in the restaurant industry and you want to go have a meal and everyone's miserable. I feel like the food doesn't even taste that good. It's so funny you talk. So like during the pandemic, and we've talked about this, like this little journey that I went through with my employment over the pandemic. And like you said, there was a certain point where 
I would get up in the morning. I would look at my calendar and think, oh, my God. And look at this and look at the. It was definitely not a situation where I was in an environment of psychological safety. Because I felt like every time I was getting on, I was having to, like, battle for myself. And just the thought that, like, oh, damn, I got to get on this meeting. And, oh, I'm going to get on this meeting and mute and sit here and not say anything, even though I want to scream. Either which way, whichever (laughs) professional troublemaker we show up as that day, whichever three we decide on, we're still taking away a piece of ourselves. Exactly. And that's exactly it. If we're always speaking up then we're becoming very vulnerable to the group. To the retaliation. If we don't speak up and we're waiting for someone else to speak up, then we become vulnerable to the fact that we won't we're be gonna listened continue to be abused. we're not visible. Yeah, you're going to be abused or whatever that situation is going to continue. There really is no win-win for us. No, there isn't. Or if you speak up too much, then you lose your job. Or if you speak up too much, you're ostracized from the community. It's... I think there's just a there's a higher level of vulnerability for black and brown people when it comes to being in positions of psychological safety. Yeah, I agree. And what's funny is that creating psychological safety, we gave some more in-depth like ways or aspects of environments that are psychologically safe. When we talked about creating spaces where people can ask questions, you can do very simple things. Like say space. thank you? Say, oh my God. say gracias if you can say it in Spanish. <laughs> Whatever your language is, make sure you communicate. The other thing is like promoting self-awareness within right. yourself right. and with other people. Demonstrating I concern for the t- team members. You, would tell, you gave me a good example yesterday of self-awareness. It might have been this morning. But we, we were talk talking about, yeah, I know. <laughs> you were talking about you were in a situation and you felt like you were rude to somebody. And you said you apologized in that moment. Okay, maybe that was rude. Yeah, because sometimes when, so I'm big on self-awareness, right? I feel like these are things that in order for us to be better and for us to develop and be just good human beings, we have to be aware of the way we show up. And so maybe something was bothering me and maybe I said something that me personally was being said to me, I wouldn't have taken it personal. You can see someone's face turning. Whoa. (laughs) Where did she come from today? Being self-aware doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes and you're perfect. It means that you've created this visibility for yourself that you can say, ah, I made a mistake and I should apologize or I should clarify what my intentions were it it makes it safe for those people that you're around Mm -hmm. to know that okay if i mess up then giselle can understand that because giselle has made herself vulnerable and said hey i messed up another thing is that we don't all just show up with thick skin Right. Some of us right. are more sensitive than others. Some of us really take it to heart and they, they just go through their life without really talking about things. It's not right for us to kind of compartmentalize everything that's happening to us just out of fear of the person's like actions or not to sound like we're being babies or cry babies or whatever well, the case the may be. Like, we should just be able to openly have those conversations. Right. Like it's you said. sharing your experiences without sounding like a victim. Like, I'm not a victim. I will tell you what society has done to black and brown people and what my experiences are. I'm not a victim, though. But I don't want you to... A lot of times when we speak and we're like, this happens. Yeah, and to be honest, this entire show, this entire podcast is basically based off of the premise of psychological safety and creating these environments that we can all thrive in 
because we are giving information in a precise way with data so there's no miscommunication to avoid those kind of conversations that's is that what they meant we're very clear on what we mean so that way we can have this dialogue and we can have these conversations and we can all say you know what maybe we don't really agree to a certain extent but i do hear what you're saying and i can understand what you're saying doesn't mean i have to agree with you so i want to definitely close out with our call to action and i think we would be not being authentic if we didn't discuss microaggressions as part of a conversation about psychological safety. I want to read you guys a quote. Just being BIPOC, showing up is incredibly stressful, explains Tiffany Gianna, author of Subtle Acts of Exclusion, How to Understand, Identify, and Stop Microaggressions. She continued to say, in so many ways, people are directly biasing on you, often unintentionally. So let's talk about what a microaggression. For me, it's usually like when somebody says something like, Oh, you're really smart for a black lady. Or how about, oh, you're pretty for a brown girl. Right. That one. Oh, that or, brown oh people wow. You're, you speak very well. Oh, I didn't know you speak English and Spanish. Right. That's oh, the kind what's of. What's your that's, first language? That's a Both. microaggression, Both. right? <laughs> <laughs> so microaggressions may be unintentional or perceived as harmless. A comment about a black worker's hairstyle or an Asian colleague's accent or an assumption that a Latinx worker can easily translate a document into Spanish acts like this. Yes, erode. please stop telling me to yes, translate stop documents. It. Stop it. Stop Actually, it. I can do it, but I refuse at this point just because I'm using the only brown person in the room. They're like, but, no, oh, you but can do this, right? We need to hold space for our BIPOC colleagues without judgment, lead with curiosity, be open to accepting the reality of the experiences. And even if it might be difficult to hear, listen. Empathy is crucial for this step. Accept and validate the experiences of your BIPOC colleagues and community members. Honor their experiences. Raise your awareness. Learn about different kinds of microaggressions so that when they happen, you have the awareness needed to identify and interrupt them. When we talk about white allies, that's what we need you to be doing. We need you to be interrupting these patterns of aggression, oppression, and systematic racism and raising your voice in situations where we can't. We're not at the kitchen table with auntie, uncle, and grandpa. You are. So you need to tell them that what they're saying is not appropriate. Hold self and one another accountable. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Establish inclusive practices in meetings when microaggressions can often occur and hold one another accountable to maintaining. Those are the things that we talk about in terms of creating environments of psychological safety. Again, I just want to reiterate specifically for BIPOC individuals, women, disabled people, etc., We need to hold space for them and we need to hold ourselves and others accountable when we are not treating them with respect and empathy and equity in mind. So this is episode 10 of Don't Touch My Podcast. We can be found at Don't Touch My Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We're at DontTouchMyPodcast.com and we're on Twitter at DTMYPodcast. Thank you for listening and we can't wait to talk to you next week.